Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of the Ill-Informed Insight Podcast. I'm Tom, and if I had to describe what this podcast is, it's myself and a few friends trying to, or at least attempting to be less ignorant Philistines. We'll talk mostly current affairs, pop culture, politics, movies, books, things like that. If you've ever felt like you woke up one day in a hysterical, bizarro world and you're worried that the phrase age of information is just an ironic euphemism and you're eager to hear people who are downright unqualified to talk about such things, this might be the podcast for you. I know nothing. On today's show, I'm joined by my friends Tim. Hello. And Hyman. I stand by. I don't know nothing. And we're going to be talking mostly bollocks on how we feel about Brexit is going, get topical by discussing the various threats to our democracy, but first, we ask the question, are all men just sex pests? Overnight, yet another member of the Weinstein Company's Board of Representatives has stepped down. And actress Rose McGowan, in several posts online, is revealing more about what she says happened between her and Harvey Weinstein. In a series of tweets Thursday, McGowan said when she was working with Amazon Studios, they ignored her claims against Harvey Weinstein. Amazon studio head Roy Price was himself accused of sexual harassment by a TV producer. The New York Times reports McGowan reached a settlement with Weinstein for $100,000 in 1997. The new allegations shining an unappealing light on an open Hollywood secret. It's the entitlement of too many men. You know, this man is at the top of a very particular iceberg. And he's, I don't think you can describe him as a sex addict. He's a predator. This story, it won't go away. No. It's only getting worse. So it's been about a month since Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein was exposed as a serial sex predator. Uh... Wording. What? Allegedly. Exposed. Well, I, I I don't think anyone can argue the fact that he was actually a successful, a very successful sex predator. One of the years, best. Really. Multiple franchises under his name. Yeah, <laughs> and a very effective one. If there was a, a prize for, for such an endeavour, he'd, he'd surely be the the, <laughs> the the recipient, yeah. Where'd you put it on the um, Jimmy Savile scale? It's not as bad as Savile because they weren't kids and they weren't dead. <laughs> and he probably isn't a Satanist. But obviously he's in rehab Allegedly. now. He's in he's in rehab painting pictures and stuff when really he should be in jail. Yeah, but the coffee table book of the paintings he's going to produce in this place is going to be brilliant. Incredible. <laughs> Hundreds of pictures of pot plants with cum on them. I thought it was going to be like various celebrity Yeah, nudes. that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. like from his, no, from no, his no, photographic no. memory. Oh yeah, this is this is Nicole and Tom. Yeah. Well, you know, he's, he's a film producer, so he's not a filmmaker. He's probably, he's probably one of the most successful producers of... Uh, the last 20 years he, he doesn't have the the creative side of it but he has a lot of in, input into his projects because he's he's the money man he gets the funding for these films he has the networks he has the connections that's the <laughs> difference he, he abused his power in bringing these 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 women in and in doing so like i do a bit of acting but you were it, it, you it, were it, tramp number what i was i was a tramp i was a beggar today anyway what i'm saying it demeans the whole sort of profession because it gets to the thing is like well maybe it's not the most talented actor or actress who gets the part but it's the one who's willing to put up with yeah. the most sexual abuse what are you talking about that's been the way it's always been for years I'll make you a star I'll make you a star you can tread the boards the limelight will be on you as only only you can stare me down whilst you're sucking my cock LA Confidential wasn't that kind of basically what that movie was about was like sleaze and exploitation in Hollywood yes but there's been over 70 allegations I thought it was like maybe 25 30 like turns out it was over 70 allegations against Harvey Weinstein yeah First and foremost, the name, 
Weinstein, Weinstein. Why is it wine on the first half, but then Steen on the second half, even though it's spelt the same way? That's bullshit. But it's a red flag. This guy is not on the level. He can't even pronounce his name. <laughs> the ball got rolling thanks to uh, Rose McGowan. Yeah. She was kind of quickly forgotten. Well, because there's 70 other people. <laughs> Wait, who's Rose McGowan? You know, she was the actress. She was in Scream. Um, she, just, she was looking like she was going to be a big thing in the 90s. Yeah. And then she was dating Marilyn Manson at one point, And then she just dropped off. Like, you just stopped seeing her in movies. Happens. It, happens. Yeah, but it, it's looking like it probably happened because Harvey Weinstein tried it on with her. She probably kicked him away or whatever. Now she doesn't work in Hollywood anymore. Yeah. He, he blackballed her because she gave him blue balls. Kind of. I've been holding on to that one for an age. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, the biggest thing about this Weinstein story and the thing that makes it so important is that it has just broken the, the floodgates of everything now. Now everybody is accusing each other of sexually harassing and sexually pestering each other. There's a whole new host of names have come out. You now. know what worries me? Because it has opened this floodgate, there's, it's in the zeitgeist. That means it's becoming the norm. And that means it'll be soon forgotten like a fucking fad. Nothing will happen. Nothing will change. All that's going to happen is this is going to fizzle out as more names as we, as humans, can't comprehend the numbers of how this could happen. Oh, it must be a type of fiction now. Whoa. And it will move on to the next big thing. No one talks about Savile anymore. No one yeah, talks yeah. about Utree. No one talks about that shit. Oh, because we fixed it now? It hasn't been fixed. It just got moved on. It was a fad and it's moved on. And that is the fucking shame of it all. But, but the, what I don't like about you saying how it's becoming acceptable and we'll just move on it's going back to the original topic is are all men sex pests because i'd hate the fact that people just assume that men are that way because i'm not that way so like obviously harvey weinstein like you say wasn't the only one there was a relevant one today with um justice league that came out yesterday and uh gal Gadot, because the director was uh brett ratner and apparently uh brett ratner has been fingered if that's the right terminology <laughs> he's been accused so she wanted him completely off the production and um, she's got her wish on that one but who else like Dustin Hoffman was accused Ben Affleck grabbed some woman's ass. well Dustin Hoffman wasn't just accused he actually owned up to it so fair play to him He'd, in his Did in he? his statement yeah he, he said that. but the, the other the massive one as well over here is Kevin Spacey isn't it he was the director of the Young Vic. Old Vic. I thought it was Young Vic as well. <laughs> so did he. That's why he, that's why he fucking took the job. But it was a bit of a controversy of that one. He almost successfully deflected it by going like... By oh, coming by out. Way, yeah. Are you kidding me? Do you really felt like he deflected it? I thought. I felt like it was an attempt to. Oh, it was definitely an attempt to, but I, no, I'm so happy. I'm so happy people are so jaded that they did not pick up on that. No, the, but it did. It was a deflection, but not in the way he intended. The, 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 the deflection wasn't the massive revelation that he was gay. <gasps> what a shock. No, the, what was the, it? He sexually assaulted a guy 30 years ago who was a teenager back then. 14 year old, yeah. And he came out and he said, um, I don't remember it happening. I'm sorry if it did happen. Oh, by the way, I'm gay. That was basically like what yeah, you said. Yeah. A- but the actual deflection was the huge outrage from the LGBTQ community who said like, you've Love. thrown us all under the bus, the rainbow bus all at once. It's, you shouldn't do it. But speaking of um, almost successful deflections, Harvey Weinstein tried the, uh, the Michael Douglas thing. I have a disease called sex addiction. I'm going to go seek help. And then he went into rehab, like you were saying earlier, Tim. He actually gets a pat on the back instead of a kick up the ass. I think he was fully prepared to be, all right, I'm going to go away for a few months, deal with my disease, and but, then I'll be, I'll be welcomed back to yeah, warm arms. But that was sex addiction. 
And I don't think Michael Douglas is a sex predator because we haven't heard any stories about him. He just loved fucking. Yeah, and but that's different because that's consensual. That's with other sex addicts. What, what Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey did was an abuse of power and a, a physical assault. Did you hear the um, TMZ reported about Harvey Weinstein and his contract with the company he set out, the Weinstein production company or whatever? Yeah. Like, it was written into his contract and it was likely that Harvey was going to be accused of sexual assault. So they came up with a protocol on what to do when that happens. And it's basically pay a fine to the company, pay her hush money so she fucks off. I and not just once, it was like multiple strikes, wasn't it? The money would, well, would go up in increments for each sexual assault. So it wasn't just he'd do it once and you'd get in trouble. He'd keep doing it, but the more he'd do it, the more he'd have to pay you. Like another 50 grand on top of it. You know, you know what I love? I would love to meet the person that was hired as HR on that. What lawyer yeah, drew it, up that contract, man? Jesus. But I mean, it's suggestive, though, the fact that this contract exists. First and foremost, it was well known. Everybody around Harvey probably knew yeah. he was getting up to these kind of things. There's absolutely no grey areas in, in that story. Yeah, like, do you see Ben Affleck got grilled by Stephen Colbert this week? No. Like, Stephen Colbert kind of hit him out of the blue. Like, he was on there just to promote Justice League. Yeah, because Ben Affleck is Batman. Why did you make Geely? <laughs> now, the person who made that film for you, the person who started your career with, right. was Harvey Weinstein. Now, the... It's a you know, comedy show, correct? This is a comedy <laughs> show right now. But we also talk about the subject of sure, the moment, what sure. the national conversation about. Absolutely. And, and after the revelations, the disturbing and just truly... Uh, horrifying revelations about what Harvey Weinstein did. Did you feel, because you had such a close association with him at the beginning of your career, that you had to do more than simply distance yourself from Harvey Weinstein? Because everybody ran for the exits. Yeah, yes, and understandably so. You know, for me, it was a little bit... I mean, it was awful to see the extent of these terrible crimes, and it was hideous, and I haven't worked for Harvey for more than 15 years. Well, after that, there have been multiple accusations and revelations about various people, especially in Hollywood, has been focused for the most part up until recently. And you yourself have been accused of a few things, sexual impropriety, that you've you've apologized for some of that. And do, do you feel like there is more that you or all men, especially in Hollywood, have to do to make sure that this isn't a passing thing? Uh, come, uh, you didn't really, uh, you know. Yeah, you're Batman, you should do something about it. How come you come. didn't really do anything about it? Because he was busy touching people up. Do you remember when touch-up was just a euphemism for plastic surgery? But yeah, it, I just think it's as simple as saying there's two types of men, or there's two types of people. I don't think power in itself, inherently, is corrupting. I think if you're a bad person, it will bring out the bad side of you if you suddenly get a lot of power and influence. But if you're a good person, you, it won't make you into a sex pest. To send a message, he's got to go to prison, Harvey Weinstein. No. What he, do you mean, no? He's too rich to go to prison, what are you talking about? It'll never happen. Why not? Too many male judges. Because to- normally it's the nature of sex assault the nature of the crime is that it happens in a private moment where there are no eyewitnesses. And obviously, a lot of these accusations are years old, 10, 20, 30 years. So there isn't going to be any forensic evidence either. Securing a criminal conviction is obviously really hard. I love the idea when he's refuting the claims. No, 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 my cock is much bigger than she described it. <laughs> yeah, that's how they get him. <laughs> it's a few good men moment. All I know is that I'm really, really looking forward to the next Oscars. I'm empty audience. I'm kind of hoping. <laughs> I, the one thing I can see happening is um, they make it women only. This well, no, year, they, 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 they'll, they'll make a, they'll drama they'll they'll make a film about it. But because there's um, in Harvey Weinstein's case, though, you might be able to get a pr- criminal prosecution because there's so many fucking allegations. It's obvious, you know, these women are not colluding. 
the chances of them grouping together to be like, yeah, let's lie about Harvey. The chances of that are like slim to nil. What will happen is the criminal case will disappear and then there'll be a civil case. But that's what this contract is sort of undercutting. Yeah, no, do you no, know what I mean? It's no, like, but that, no, but that's the thing. They'll use that. The criminal case will disappear because the statute of limitation on a lot of things, unless there's literal physical evidence, they can't prove a crime. There might be proved conspiracy of something and it'll be the civil case that basically be the big thing breaks them if they can actually get them all to stand together. Yeah, if they actually testify. Like, maybe like 20 of the 70 odd women who've come forward. I'm sorry, you're not famous enough to get on this caucus. It's the well, worst. I mean, that's a really depressing thought though, that he won't actually go to prison. They don't go to prison. They just disappear into infamy. It also suggests the culture won't change in the slightest. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. The culture won't change. The question is, do you think it should change? I would say the culture has changed already somewhat in the sense that um, Harvey Weinstein was let go from the company he founded. Uh, I think Brett Ratner, every company associated with him, the people he usually collaborates with to make movies, they're all abandoning him, giving him the cold shoulder. So yeah. that, I think it's changed somewhat in the sense people re- were less willing to tolerate it. Do you know how I refute this? Is there still racism in Hollywood? Um, does Mel Gibson still make movies? Yeah. Um, there's one he's, he's slowly he's got a Christmas one coming out with Mark Wahlberg yeah with Will Jesus Ferrell. coming back with a big fucking beard daddy's what's it called daddy's home too he is uh, a sexy uh, motherfucker though he's playing Mark Wahlberg's uh, dad uh, oh good two, two beaters why not the thing of the Weinstein company they did fire Harvey but obviously the contract shows they didn't fire Harvey Weinstein because they found out he's a sex predator they fired him because everybody else found out and and do you also think from a business standpoint people won't go and people are less likely Likely to see a film that says Harvey Weinstein was the producer. The, Most people don't give a shit. Well, no, I, I'm a bit funny like that because I, I I was going to watch Baby Driver. You know, it was like Kevin Spacey, and I was like, oh, I, can't mm. be, I don't want to really see him at the moment. Maybe I watch it later. You know, should sure, it's a good. You film. went back to watching Usual Suspects. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- no, I watched. He's a piece of shit in that too. No, right? I watched. I rewatched American Beauty, and uh, suddenly the end of it made sense and was a lot more satisfying. Why that guy's dad shot him dead? <laughs> 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 he wasn't hallucinating. They took him out of a movie, didn't they? Like, he just wrapped up shooting yeah. this movie, and now they're reshooting That's... every scene that he was in with a different actor. Yeah. Like, what happens if that actor gets accused between now and the film? Do they go back and reshoot again with a third, with like a robot? to make sure mm. they just mm. it's, it's just a, a dummy it, it's yeah. just a placeholder exactly <laughs> I'll tell you why that won't happen it's because the people who got that new guy in knew 100% he wasn't dodgy because the thing is Eunuch. everybody in Hollywood knew this it was like an open secret for years but that's the thing they won't disappear this is how they make their money they've been in it long enough so they'll just become producers or backline people they'll just be in the fucking background pseudonym yeah they'll still get paid the big bucks because they're the name that brings the everyone else to it yeah like almost kind of mafioso of like harvey's a piece of shit but he's a good earner we're not going to get rid of him because he's a good earner if the culture in Hollywood does change, it's going to change arguably for the wrong reason, because it affected Hollywood's bottom line, not because there was like this newfound respect for women. Quick question on that. What is the ideal thing? We've done it. We've toppled this dictator. Now we're going to have this peace and prosperity time. What is that type of future Hollywood? More Melissa McCarthy comedies? So less Fast oh. and Furious, more My Little Pony. But you More know, bad mums. Do you feel like that's the narrative people are going for? Kind of like, if there are more women on screen, that means everything is safe. And like, yeah. it doesn't work like that. As you said, it's bottom line. But I've noticed a change in the marketing 
is is more female oriented. Like there, uh, Charlie Theron, more money. Charlie Theron had a, a film out, a film out earlier this year called Atomic Blonde, and it was being Love marketed. marketed it was that. being marketed as like this is the first time a woman's like yeah. ever kicked someone's yeah, ass yeah. this hardcore on screen. You're like, have you ever seen like fucking Cynthia Rothrock mm. kicking everyone in China's ass in the eighties? But of course, the the other big one this year was was Wonder Woman that came out. That that had a huge sort of feminizing marketing push and some some theaters even held female only screenings <laughs> of it yeah so there is there is that sort of it's there's money to be made because it's not just hollywood that's experiencing a current i would call it moral panic about sexual harassment good old westminster bringing things back to old blighty Everything has to be like a shitty portmanteau now. The worst one I saw was Hestminster. <sighs> Westminster has a long and proud tradition of being Jeez. a magnet for the biggest perverts in this country. Etonians. Just just <laughs> the filth of the filth. As the saying goes, politics is the Hollywood of ugly people. Who says that? You've never heard that? I don't know no. where the sayings come from, but I've heard it. It's a saying. Oh, okay. But yeah, riding on Hollywood's coattails, Westminster's very own sexual harassment scandal. It came to light that female MPs have this WhatsApp group that they're members of, and they keep tabs on the guys who are a little too touchy-feely, a little too pervy. There's even There are even some women on the list who are like too promiscuous. They're so bitchy, aren't they? Yeah. They can't help but criticise each <laughs> other. Don't leave your husband with this one, that kind of thing. And then it sort of exploded with a story about um, talk radio's Julia Hartley Brewer, where she was touched on the knee by former Defence Secretary Michael Fallon. Just pause for a second. We're not talking like sports minister. It's it's probably the, the second most important role. Yeah, it's one of the top jobs. Top she, four. She, she's probably a Russian spy, or, or maybe her knee was. <laughs> to her credit, Julia Hartley Brewer, she came out and said, listen, I didn't, this happened maybe like 10 years ago. And she's like, Look, I didn't want to make a big deal of it. It's, as far as I'm concerned, it's not any sort of kind of serious incident. It's not sexual assault. And she dealt with it on her own. And this I like, she was saying basically, she told him, like, if you put your hand on my knee again, I'll punch you in the mouth. But to quit just for that, he's probably done something worse to someone else yeah. and he was just shitting it that that was going Basically, to come he, um, he developed a reputation for being a little bit too lewd when drunk. You know, like in Parliament, there's like four different bars. Seven. There's seven. There's more than any high street. <laughs> it's mad. It's mad. Now, on Labour's side... What do you mean on Labour's side? Surely Labour is the party of the, the angels and all the best of society who have our best interests yeah. at heart. Who have never elected a woman as leader. But MP Kevin Hopkins, Kelvin Hopkins, excuse me, he's been suspended for sexting an aide and attempting to dry humper. And the response from government has been to draw up official codes of conduct. And the Tories, well, Theresa May anyway, she came out and said, yeah, I want to have this independent body... More money wasted. But you can report incidents to this independent body anonymously and what have you. Only by by women and homosexuals. No, you just have to post all your reports to the body and the body will deal with it. Obviously, nothing will happen. There'll just be like a pile of letters next to a coffin. That's how these things get swept under the carpet. So, like, the kind of, I would say, the main narrative on this Sexminster scandal has been that it's it's because Westminster is too male-dominated. And here's Ruth Davidson elucidation on that point the dam has broken uh, on this now and these male dominated professions overwhelmingly male dominated professions where the boys own locker room culture has prevailed and it's all been a bit of a laugh has got to stop she's been tipped as a future uh, party leader yeah she's like the only popular tory yeah 
I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My major problem with this bullshit of a male-dominated thing is, if it's male-dominated, it will have a male tinge to it. And what do men think about? Men think about sex. Not all the time. No, but I think it's pretty much in our minds a fair amount of the time. Not I'm going to do anything about it, but it's certainly there. It's like having a fucking drumbeat. Doesn't mean I have to dance to it. Yeah, but women think My, about sex a lot as well. Yeah, man. they do. It's offensive when you're someone who's never like sexually assaulted. It well, let's uh, let's get into this. The definition of sexual. Tim, assault. have you ever sexually assaulted anyone? Yes. Tom, have you ever sexually assaulted anyone? In the old definition, no. By the new contemporary definition, yes. Okay, what are these definitions then? I think every man has had this moment where you misjudged it. You lent in. You lent in for the kiss. And then they lent their head back, like, away from you. Like, every guy's had that moment. Now, in the old definition, that wasn't sexual assault. That was just an unfortunate mishap. Yeah. Today, it's sexual assault. I, I made an unwanted advance. So, by today's standards, I guess I'm guilty. Comes down to my watchword again, context. Third, third degree sexual assault, if such a thing exists, I don't know. Uh, I, I told you guys, I remember telling you guys about You that. didn't answer, by the way, Hyman, you didn't answer if you were guilty of sexual assault. What question? There was no question. <laughs> there was no question asked. Because like, the narrative, though, that if it's male-dominated, it equals rape. What possible solution is there? Like, say that diagnosis is true. What's the solution, then? Just ban men from work? Like, what do you... No, it's, no, it's as stupid as going, like, like, let's ban war. Honestly, only women have only had a voice in society for about 100 years. And now that they've finally got a voice, you can actually have a dialogue. And talking about these things publicly is, is very important. And you can establish rules of behaviour because it's, it's simple. I, I wouldn't sexually assault someone because, like... I've got a mother, I've got a sister, and I just, like, my sort of general rule of thumb. Yeah, I hate... So you know, I wouldn't I do that, this. so I wouldn't do that. Men have got to grow out of this, doing this thing of, oh, yeah, but I, I have a sister and I have a mum, right? Because what, like, what, what women hear is, I have such total lack of empathy that if I'm not blood-related to her, <laughs> I couldn't give a fuck what happens to her. Do you know what I mean? That so, whole, like, I have a sister thing is like, we've got, to, so, we've got to grow out of that. But, but, that, but we're trying to create that empathy. I can empathise with another man who doesn't have to be a relative or a friend for me to give a shit about his mm. rights and his liberties and it's like we, we do we have this habit of being like oh i care about women because i have a sister and i have a yeah. mum and i'm being, I, anyway, I'm being right? a fucking hypocrite because if i was I like, like i don't mean to have no, a go at you but. no i'm being a fucking hypocrite because if i was in a bar and if i was like completely off my trolley i'd like drunk <laughs> and taken and gone completely fucking crazy it's conceivable i i might have gotten to the state where i just see an, an amazing ass yeah. and my hand would suddenly grab it that's the point how much of this westminster scandal is the fact that they're always drunk with Tim's point, do you think, because women have not had a voice, and now they do, that now it's time to actually put down what was unsaid, you know, we'll actually write down the rules of what was unsaid before? I think people know what the rules are. I think Harvey Weinstein knew all along what he was doing was wrong. There is this sort of notion, though, that, oh, men just need to be taught not to rape. Harvey Weinstein knew what he was doing was morally wrong. He just didn't give a shit. In the same way a murderer knows it's wrong to murder but they still do it. Boys are taught this is how you get a girl, by doing this, by being the big butch guy. And this is, uh, and girls are kind of like, you have to be subservient, you have to be the second in command, you have to be the 
in my lifetime women in my experience have never been told like post life of brian christianity was just nothing but a laughing stock i don't think young girls are told they have to be subservient to boys or men in general i think earlier we were talking about like guys not not all men are sex pests you're right you know you can be a, a, a good one or a bad one now flip that over with women it's being maybe slightly subservient or completely unsubservient it's just something inherent in them their personality and maybe that's like with men there's some men where there's inherent in them they'll just want to be sex pests there's a real lack of distinction like where man putting hands on a woman's knee is being kind of put in the same league as harvey weinstein 30 years of sexual assault there's sort of like a fail to distinguish between the two a failure what do you think teaching men not to rape would actually achieve when you say boys, what do you mean? Like, oh, it's like teaching you kids get sex, young. E- yeah, sex education yeah. at a young age. Yeah, exactly. That's what, This e- is what's being talked about in the press, is teaching boys not to rape. Were you teaching them to rape before? Here's what, here's what Hyman and my generation, I don't know about Tim, you're a little bit older. We were taught, Hyman and I were taught, always be respectful to women and girls, never put your hands on women and girls, never take liberties with women and girls. That's what we were taught. We, we were taught not to rape. That is treating them like a second-class citizen. These are the women. They're behind the glass. But that information oh. that we're taught, my our generation, is wrong. Women don't want a guy that puts women on a pedestal and tries to always be extra nice to them. Like you were saying, it's like a benevolent sexism. The softer, fairer sex kind of bullshit. And maybe what we ha- should really teach, uh, say, teenage boys, not not how to rape but teach them how to actually successfully seduce women without sexually assaulting them. It can be done. No. So you're talking Barry no, no, White, no, no, no. chocolates, roses, like basically the art, the art of being confident without being cocky. Like you know, no. you know what women are like. They want a confident guy, but he's not. He can't be arrogant. No, no, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. You need to go almost fascist robots. What? All right, you need to go. This is the shit that is happening to you. I am going to shine a light. This is what's going on in your body every time you think you're going to do something. That is something you cannot control making you do that. You're right. It has to come from a robot. If it comes from an adult, they won't listen. But you know what I mean? Like, you have to make it so fucking uncomfortable that doing it. (laughs) Is this like a kind of clockwork orange type thing? Is this what you're suggesting? Make them physically ill anytime they want to fuck someone? Yeah. And you know what happens? When they leave the school, they can realize, oh, fuck, all that pressure was going through me. That's not real life. I can actually be a normal human being. Another aspect of that I don't like about the whole teach men not to rape thing. There's there's an implication that women can be as sexual and as sexually inappropriate as they want and there's no there's no boundary there oh, other yeah, than yeah. other than maybe sleeping with minors that's the boundary for women for men it's like you got to be careful doing anything like i remember there was a controversy once in the office when i go uh, all i did was compliment a woman's dress she had a really nice dress on and i was like yeah, that's a nice dress that was it but then there was a controversy of like what was what does tom mean by that is he hitting on her is he flirting with her? no it's a nice dress why can't i say it Women at work, man, they, some of them take the piss. Oh, I've been like the only guy in an office of women before. Oh, that's got to be hell. And it's been, be they've hell. been merciless. And it's, it's quite funny, um, but sometimes it's been uncomfortable. How vulgar are women when there's only one guy in the room? In the office, women can be really touchy-feely. They can be stroking your forearm. I don't know what that thing is. Do you know that I like it? I know I like it. I don't know what it is, but the finger rubbing across your neck as they walk past your chair? They're naturally a lot more that tactile kind of than men. 
I've yeah. never worked in an office like this before, but tell me more. Dude, I've been sexually assaulted in an office by a woman. Basically, a Can woman's just... brother owned yeah. was renting out the office, and he did her a favor. She was trying to start up this fashion company, and so he let her use one of the corner offices, and she's like, Tom, I need someone to help me um, fold away these t-shirts to box them up. We got to the end of it, and she's like, oh, thanks a lot for doing that for me. Here you go. Have a free t-shirt. And then she goes, oh, make sure it's the right size, because if it's not the right size, these are obviously shipping off, blah, blah, blah. You see where it's going. So yeah, like a naive retard, I take I'm taking my top off because I'm not reading the situation correctly at all. She basically just like there was a, a moment of awkward silence, and then she just reached out and grabbed my chest and rubbed her hands on my chest, right? and I was just completely dumbfounded. I was like, okay, thanks for the t-shirt. <laughs> she just giggled yeah. to herself and walked out. Real talk, Tom. That was sexual assault. That was it? sexual assault because you didn't fancy her. That's uh, the that's the truth. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's, there's an element of truth to that. A coworker once. She was complaining to me. She was like, oh, what is it with men? They think they can just approach you when you're standing on a platform, just start talking to you like they're entitled to your the time of your day. And then two days later, she comes up to me, Tom, I'm so happy. This guy came up to me on the train platform. Was down, down. Now I've got a date with him. And I was like, motherfucker, two days ago, you were complaining. And that's an interesting a, thing. Yeah, it's there is a double standard. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just a natural thing, isn't it? I think there's a widely held belief that the reason this took so long to change and well, the reason this took so long, all this sexual harassment, the culture, the rape culture took so long for it to come to light is that men are defending other men. It's a male dominated space and men are lining up to kind of defend each other. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's men's nature at all. Men are expendable. Especially in politics where there's always the chance if you can get one over on someone, if you know he's got some dirt. Do you remember in 2013, Corey Feldman came out, not as gay, but he came out and said, basically, yeah, in Hollywood, there are these child sex rings and I was sexually assaulted as a child. He went on The View, which is like, if you're British, if you've ever seen Loose Women. So Corey Feldman goes on there and Barbara Walters, if I remember correctly, she was an actress at one point, right? Listen to her response to what Corey Feldman is alleging. I'm saying that there are people that were the people that did this that are still working, they're still out there, and they're some of the richest, most powerful people in this business. And they are And they do not want me saying what I'm saying right now. Are are you saying that they're pedophiles? Yes. And that they're still in this business? Yes. Um, You're saying that there's a lot of predators in this industry. It's a many-feathered bird. That's what I'll tell you. You know, don't go into it with naivety. Don't go into it thinking that it's all roses and You're sunglasses. You're damaging and an entire industry. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to. That- I'm just trying to say that it's a very important, serious topic. So you heard Barbara Walters say there, you're harming an industry. Barbara Walters wasn't speaking up for men who are sex pests. The fact that there's a shitload of money in Hollywood that Corey Feldman may have potentially be putting at risk. You see what I mean? She wasn't defending no. male domination. She was she was defending like an old person defending her, like, it was fine. They had their own washrooms. We had our own washrooms. Everything was clean then when blacks could go in one way and I went in the other. Oh, there's no doubt. I reckon her age, right? She probably got sexually harassed worse than the contemporary Hollywood style it does today. Do you know what I mean? Like, here's my shit analogy on why there's a the culture of silence in Hollywood, in Westminster, or at least there used to be. It's like a ship. It's like a wooden ship. And stowed away in this wooden ship is like all this gold, treasure, rubies. It's worth billions, right? But everybody on the ship knows it isn't going to take much to sink this thing. Like, even just a damaged reputation could destroy this boat and sink it. That's what they're defending. 
See, I disagree with that analogy. No, I, I, I mean, like in in that analogy, you're saying like it just takes a shot across the bow to destroy it. Doesn't take much. I think this is a ship on dry land nowadays. It's 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 on dry land, but everyone still sees it as a ship that could sink. Everyone still has the mindset, though. Yeah, we have to protect this thing exactly. at all costs. It'll 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 drown. It'll it'll go underwater. Why? Because it's shaped like a boat, and boats go on water, but it's on dry land. But it's. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Though it's not people are defending men. No, they're defending status quo. Money. Yeah. That's why Harvey Weinstein was always protected. He made money. That's the bottom line. He brought in millions and millions of dollars for people. That's why they kept their mouths shut. That's why everyone's there in the first place, isn't it? He was a good earner. And here on the Ill-Informed Inside Podcast, we too will be quiet for money. So here's what I think we should do, right, to kind of wrap this up a bit. I think we should teach young men not not to rape but to how to actually seduce women in a way where everybody's pretty much happy do you know what i mean and i don't mean like we come up with hard and fast rules of what's acceptable and what I, isn't. I, I disagree with the word seduce but i know what you actually mean behind the word okay come on guys there's there's like a fundamental lesson that's been like taught for at least two thousand years and the whole if it's da- in the bum, it's da- for fun. The, the whole, the whole sort of thing about men and women, and I think we've got to forget about the whole sexes thing. And it's just do unto others as you'd have done unto you. You know, no, that's you're a dirty motherfucker. I will never do unto you what you want done unto me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. But that universalism is dead. But that'll be another podcast episode talking about that phenomenon. Oh God, I hope that's not dead. The death of universalism. Do you know how, like, basically the setup, the way it's always been, is that men chase after women and like to compare it to the other animals there's a ritual that the man does to try and impress the woman and so she accepts his advances right that's generally the setup what if we've got that wrong this whole time like men can fend off unwanted advances from a woman arguably easier more effectively than a woman can fend off the advances of a man right maybe we should develop a culture where women take the risk of rejection and try to seduce men well, it makes sense, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Not to me. Of course it does, sweetheart. Let's just be in love. It's more fun that way. Everybody does it. Why, even in France, the best upper sets do it. Lithuanians and let's do it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. Oh, I've heard that before. In old Japan, all the Japs do it. Up in Lapland, little Laps do it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. I know. The Dutch in old Amsterdam do it. Not to mention the Finns. Folk in Siam do it. Think of Siamese twins. In shallow shoals, English souls. All right, well, stay with Google. The search giant has discovered evidence that Russian agents bought ads on its platforms to interfere with the presidential election. That's according to the Washington Post. Google found that tens of thousands of dollars were spent in a disinformation campaign involving Google's YouTube, Google Search, and Gmail. So a lot has been made about Russia and her attempts at subverting Western democracy through the use of... uh troll farms whilst the elephant in the room russia today is just sat right there nobody's really paying attention to it this whole russia narrative is is like the sort of last gasps of a desperate cause honestly it's there's always every nation has always sought to influence other nations politics directly and indirectly it's called international brinkmanships it's been going on for (laughs) hundreds of years you know i was all ready to vote remain and and then i saw a funny meme 
and it changed my mind. Come on, guys. So what is a Russian troll farm? It's 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 probably like a, a wing of uh, the FS, you know, one of the Russian intelligence agencies. Yeah. Picture a room of 100 people sat in front of a computer, and from this one computer, they can control a multitude of social media accounts. So every one person can control, say, like 10, 15 different social media profiles. And okay. what they do is they post pro-Russia, pro-Putin propaganda en masse. The websites like Facebook, Twitter, Reddit. It's the war equivalent of, uh, we don't have the weapons, but we have the people. You remember how like, we used to try and put Western radio and try and introduce Western liberalism into a Soviet bloc by transmitting signals their way? Leaflets dropped from the sky. Instead of like bigging up John Stuart Mill, like, it's just, it's just shit posting about Hillary Clinton being a, like, a side of beef. Yeah, and like it's just this like dance of international brinkmanships that countries do. They always try and run interference and just like I was telling Tom, like remember when Obama came over before the Remain Brexit vote mm. and he told everyone that we should vote to stay. That's exactly the same yeah. thing. It's a foreign no, it's party not, trying to. It's not the same thing because he see, wasn't being clandestine. He wasn't being clandestine. He was out in the open with it. The way I see it, it's basically this paradigm shift in political information or any information actually. It's devalued all information. All information is bad information. All information is disinformation. You cannot trust where your news or information is coming from because it is coming from everywhere. Yeah, from good and bad actors. Garden Variety Post, right, from a Russian troll farmer. Uh, people will be trashing Putin. There'll be like a, a thread, a comment thread, where everyone's talking shit about Putin, and then suddenly they can't, they, they'll come in with, well, what about, what about Obama did this? What about David Cameron, Tony Blair, they did this? It's deflective. How come that's okay and what Putin does isn't okay? Yeah, it's, it's a deflective. derail. It's, the, the idea is not to go from, we start here... And we're working towards this end goal. And now we kind of go, well, we can't get to the end goal because we see all the fucking potholes in the middle of it. Now we're also fucking scared of getting to the end goal that we won't take the first step from the starting point. Because someone has gone, but what if? But what if? Have you seen compared to that? No, it's like you say, it's, it's, it's a muddy. There's no volition. It's, it's a muddy in, but the overarching, the thing that irritates me is the whole, the whole overarching narrative is so mollifying and babyism. Like, it's just making out everyone's a baby. Everyone's, it's, it has to be assumed that everyone is so stupid. They can't apply their own filters to this mud. Look at things subjectively themselves and make their own minds up. Tim, do you understand how propaganda works? It's all about the massive information. We spend most of our lives going through the motions of other other things. There is so much information out there that we Too cannot much. grab onto anything that will gra- that we will gravitate towards the easiest sugarific, mm. most no, but tasty e- that appeals to e- us. Easiest thing to reiterate point that is so close to us because we are so encumbered with the rest of our lives that we won't get on with it. So, are you saying that we're sort of naturally attracted to Russian trolls? But That's propaganda. That's how it works. But to Tim's point, people, there is too much information. But people already are filtering that out by going, okay, I'm only going to listen to what comes from this source, this source, and this source. Yeah, that's why with the death of broadcasting, we're into narrow casting. There's been a lot of reporting on this in the press. Like the press seem to love this idea of Russia subverting of course democracy. It is. <laughs> of course it is, because it is something that they cannot fix, but they are integral to. They're a part of, at the heart of it. Yeah, and they love reporting about themselves. Yes. But one thing I've not seen reported is 
any sort of attempt at quantifying or even qualifying what impact these Russian troll farms and the the anti-Hillary memes and the anti-EU memes, like what impact did they actually have? Who was swayed by it? The dialogue that feel the the tone of the dialogue that's going on right now is very much this is just a part of life now and nothing will happen until say certain government agencies get involved and they'll take five years to write a report and by then the Russian troll things would have changed to something else. But you know what I mean though in the sense of um you can't the media can't make someone who has real deep set belief in X and get them to change their mind to Y. They can't do that. The media can't do that. These Russian troll farms, they can't do it. What they can do is exacerbate and embolden something that was already pre existing. So there were a number of Americans who didn't like Hillary already, and these Russian troll farms tapped into that. And so I'll give like an example of um anti-Hillary meme, right? A deer lying dead in the road, obviously hit by a car. And the caption just says, what did this deer know about Hillary that she didn't want anybody finding out? That's not enough to sway you to go, oh, do you know what? I wasn't going to vote for Donald Trump. But now that I've seen that from potentially something else. But it's funny. It's funny because it's true. It is funny. Troll farming. It's the blinding of the information. It's the... A willful distraction. Yeah. It's, It's picking up on the most pointless information of it. And making that bigger than it is. It's like when, um, if Hillary comes out and says something in regards to sexual assault, rape culture, whatever, someone will always be underneath posting these exact words. Bill Clinton is a rapist. It's also like, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like call and response politics, isn't it? It's like they know they how to elicit certain reactions. Oh my God, it's Trump versus Hillary. Hillary's like one of the least inspiring Democrat candidates ever. Despite what we were told, you know, by the yeah. press. Yeah, the, like the press got that wrong completely. They were talking about 98% chance of Hillary winning. They misread that. That had nothing to do with Russian propaganda. But likewise, there seems to be a false narrative that this Russian propaganda bolstered the Trump vote, and it didn't. By talking about its ad- admitted you know, existence, they're, they're, they're admitting their own weakness. Because surely, for all this Russian propaganda, there's the counter-propaganda going on as well isn't there well i mean but yeah, why like, isn't that yeah, as successful why doesn't that gain as much traction just to isolate one country it like it's trying to rig you know the, the cold war leave it in the 20th century it's pointless like, but there always needs to be a boogeyman now that isis looks like it's being completely yeah. defeated and that's it's what like russia, oh shit we need to get another one russia yeah. yeah it's a convenient excuse for why your candidate didn't win you know you don't have to do that self-reflection of like oh what did we get wrong no 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 it was russia but it's not about Putin and Russia. It's about the idea that the media is trying to give this impression that these Russian troll farms, they're influencing. They, uh, the word they use is interfering in elections, right? But then these Russian troll farms, they're nowhere near as influential as the BBC, the Daily Mail. Not even as influential, I would say, as Russia Today. Because you lent me a book by Nick Davies oh, that I finished you, reading. Do you read it? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, Flat Earth News is what it's called. Yeah, I like it. There's a whole chapter dedicated to Daily Mail, or really more to Paul Dacker, yeah. lead editor of the Daily Mail, and how it's basically it's his view. Although Paul Dacker would say he's just reflecting uh, middle Britain, you know what I mean? Like Daily Mail is representative of the people, yeah, it's the like people's it. paper. Because I think journalists have left a gap. Like, journalists haven't really been doing their job properly. Reading Nick Davies' book, Flat Earth News, it's because they've been stretched so thin that it's impossible. Like, they're told, like, today you would have um, a journalist Jer- yeah, writing Jer- 10 different copies and publishing them in a day. Yeah, Jer- Whereas 30 years yeah. ago, maybe it was four stories you would write in a day. Now it's 10. 
There's no time for fact-checking. Journalists can't really do their job properly anymore, so it's left a gap in the market. Like, there's a certain, there's a growing distrust. But but then there's also, like, a paradigm shift in business, knowing that we can't actually control the information. We can control the people that impart the information. Outright own certain news groups. They know that if the journalist, journalism is only legitimized by the publication that prints them. Well, whether people believe in that or not. Well, no, if, if I'm printed by The Guardian, it doesn't matter if in the star or whatever, I'm still seen as a legitimate journalist by this other thing, opening the door and going like, you can do it under our banner. We protect right. you by that. There's more of a prestige there, yeah. for now, sure. Yeah. And that and that is gone beyond just in the internal. That's also seen externally by someone that reads the newspaper. Someone that reads the Daily Mail will hate a Guardian. And vice versa. But they'll hate him because they legitimize him by recognizing him as a journalist. But they right, won't yeah, give okay. a shit about someone that says on their blog, blog what they say. Something like Breitbart had way more influence on the American election than Russian propaganda did. But there's there's probably a stronger argument that this Russian propaganda uh, made people not vote for Hillary more than it made people vote for Trump. I, there's an argument there, but again, there's still no there's no real data there though. We no. still don't know how effective. It's probably massively ineffective. But you know what that's called? That's called disinformation. Disinformation yes. still works. It's why it's used in every John Le Carre book. It's, it's <laughs> spycraft. I think the media love this narrative, though. One, it kind of get, lets them off the hook that they haven't really been doing their jobs properly. They get to play the victim. True, yeah. And also, it's um, like, say, if you were one of those media outlets that was like, Hillary, 98% chance she is going to win our first female president, and then it doesn't happen. Obviously, you've got egg on your face. Along comes this convenient... Boogeyman. Hey, yeah. Russia is the reason why you are wrong. It's really convenient for them to let them off the hook. It's also a really nice distraction from the fact Russian propaganda is not a threat to our democracy. Certainly, at the very least, it's not as much of a threat to it as commercial interests on journalism, politics in general. Inside of basically lobbying. Like that's the real culprit here. It's also convenient in today's world where nobody accepts the outcomes of elections if it doesn't go their way. Yeah, we 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 live in an uncohesive narrative, Nate Standard. It's it's not about working together on anything. It's about winning and losing. Yeah, you don't have to reflect on what you did wrong. You can just blame it on this convenient excuse. Remain campaign doesn't have to look into itself to figure out what it did wrong. No, it was Steve Bannon working with Vladimir Putin to subvert British democracy as though like there was never this healthy level, maybe unhealthy level of Euroscepticism in Britain the whole fucking time. We, we are totally discounting that there is maybe a nefarious hand involved in this because we don't know. But I am not willing to not uh, not add that as a as a part of the dialogue. But it's 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 when you use the word n- nefarious. That's was the outcome of the election a good thing or a bad thing? Maybe people who wanted Trump to win but weren't influenced by Russian trolls, they still think it's a good thing. That would never be nefarious to them. Yeah, which would be probably the majority of Trump voters as well. Uninformed then. Maybe not nefarious, but an uninformed, uh, an 
I'm not going to say uneducated. It's very, it's partitioned off information. It's and this is what the troll farms are basically designed around. The whole if Adam Curtis is like oh hypernormalization. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some relevance here. I think the Russia's main trick is to sow seeds of doubt so that people are never sh- quite sure of anything. That's that what is, they do. That is Russia's ultimate revenge for destroying communism. Go back to what I said earlier about how uh, Russian propagandists they can't create something. For from nothing there has to be a there had to be seeds of doubt in western hemisphere already for that there had to be a little thread for the propagandists to tug on but western capitalism is designed around doubt it's it in one sense it's designed you have a doubt and you work towards fixing it now we live in a world where you have a doubt and we now we can build upon that and we muddy the water we don't work towards fixing it we work towards the other person that has a definitive idea of what they want and we say no you're wrong about that here is 10 other sides against it yeah. you're not working there's no too many of- options and controversial point but that's the upside to the way the chinese do things they get things done real quick like if there's a drastic crisis and something really does need to be done done quickly they can get it done quickly because they're all on the same fucking page anyway what about the role of facebook twitter social media silicon valley because um i what's more concerning to me is not russian troll farms there's a name that keeps cropping up almost every election now and internationally as well like every time there's an election somewhere in the western hemisphere a company called cambridge analytica yeah i've heard of them they uh they were kind of credited with being the reason the tories won the 2015 general election and they're basically a data analysis company and supposedly it's not really known but there's sort of rumors that there's ties to the cia the fbi uh, i know there's connection with steve bannon donald trump's former advisor and head of his election campaign strategy but they uh they're basically what they do is they allow because politics is private political parties they're not owned or run by the state they're private entities they hire cambridge analytica in order to individually target social media users so they get the most bang for their buck in terms of advertising and marketing with silicon valley how like think about how much data they have on us how willing we are to give up our sense of privacy in order to tell facebook and twitter everything about us path of least resistance we're fucking retards i'm a retard do you see what I mean? I'm saying there's a real concern there that people who are involved in politics are getting really close to people in Silicon Valley, whilst at the same time, they're really close to journalists. They're really close to heads of in- wealthy heads of industry. They're, they're all too close, too chummy, too many conflicts of interest. It's that primacy of you, of you, where you are in total control. You're the you're the person driving the ship, and you re- realize you're in a fucking kid's paddling pool driving yeah. around on a giant ship. A lot of forces outside of your control. So, I mean, I'm basically trying to make a link between a weak journalistic class that doesn't really have time to do basic fact-checking and investigative reporting who are also too chummy with politicians this is this is the threat to democracy they're vulnerable to commercial interests rather than what the public wants that's the threat do you remember when the tagline used to be you've got a right-wing editor and left-wing journalists yeah that's why everyone kept where everyone was kept in check that's to be ideological purity now Good journalism costs money, right? Oh, God, yeah, everything costs money. 
once it goes through the internet filter, suddenly it's not worth any like any amount of money. It should just be free. Is a weird kind of neurosis going on there where if it's on the internet, it should be free. If it's off the internet, oh, I'll pay something. For- it's because we someone offered path of least resistance. We expect it's because we haven't had a fucking war or something like that where <laughs> no one's actually been put through anything. Everything's outside of our purview. We've never been tested, so we never actually tested ourselves. Why aren't people willing to pay for... Like, everybody recognizes this sort of kind of mainstream consciousness now that journalism is not at a good level, not at the level at least it used to be. But nobody's prepared to pay the money to get journalism back. Like, it's a dying industry. This is every... any Ask any journalist, they'll tell you it's a dying industry, you can't make any money in it anymore. Hell, watch the documentary page one about the New York Times. That's a brilliant documentary. It's dying. It's basically cutting down all its editors and cutting down its journalists. And it's very much all the journalists that are on it are either bought in and they don't know where the information is coming from. They'll just reprint press releases and call it a day because they haven't got time to do anything other than that. Because the public won't pay for journalism, journalists have to look for money somewhere else. And where they're going to look is to commercial corporate interests. I know two people who trained as journalists and now work in think tanks because they're paid for the skills they tried to learn for journalism and now they just write reports. There's no money in it, though. No money in it. And it means there's a lot of uh, lying by omission going on. There's a lot of things the public are not being told because it's inconvenient to some shareholder somewhere. The public has this nasty habit of insisting it's someone else that needs to change. So it's politicians that need to change. It's the journalists that need to change. But what also needs to change is the public as well. The public's got to be prepared to pay for good journalism if that's what it wants. That is the hardest thing to get across to someone. Oh, I can just download this podcast. Oh, Mm. what do you mean I've got to pay for a podcast? Everything should not be free. The internet is the worst thing that could have actually been developed and designed for human society. Do you think society still really cares for democracy like how it used to? No, it cares that it's there in the background. It takes it for granted. Tim's of course it takes it. <laughs> of course it takes it for granted. I was texting. I was texting. I think it cares in the sense that when someone turns around going like, where do you live in a dictatorship or, or a democracy? I think that's what it would have to take just an authoritarian dictator coming along and taking democracy away to get us to be like, oh my God, actually we should have cared more about democracy. I think people are starting to lose faith in democracy. Like I said, the the absence of universalism, so people don't accept that elections don't always go their way. I no longer have any faith in democracy. Like, people are really a little bit petty and a bit puerile with democracy well, these that's days. That's the invention of the Tea Party and the, mm. uh, the camp, they were camping out. They oh, were, Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, uh, the yeah, Tea yeah. Party and the Occupy, two sides of the same fucking coin. The whole idea of going, like, I am the primacy of myself. I think we, we do have to address inequality. People, I think people are connecting rising inequality with a failure of democracy. People view it that way. And so they're losing their... As, like as inequality rises their faith in democracy being able to fix that fades away that 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 is a much deeper conversation i would love to go into my whole stance of democracy did not promise equality but it sold um, as that which is a problem the sold the idea that you too can be this but you can't i voted leave Potentially, I may have been missold on the idea that Britain can retain sovereignty in a way that maybe it's not actually any longer possible to do so. And on that note, our next segment, Brexit. Said in the perfect term. 
thing on the Article 50 agenda is the bill. The EU is demanding Britain pay up to 60 billion euros to cover the current budget and future pension liabilities. This dispute could scupper the talks before they even begin. Second comes trade, but this is highly contentious. The EU says it will only discuss trade after agreeing the exit deal, but Britain wants to know what its future relationship will look like before it signs any checks. And then there's citizens' rights. Then there are all the other things like border guards, policing, fishing, airline routes, and environmental obligations. And there are some things that may have slipped the government's mind altogether. So, guys, Tim's favourite topic here. How's Brexit going? Oh, Brexit's going really well. You say that every fucking time. Because it is. It's it's clearly not. No, the, the thing is, like, oh, everybody is saying it's going to be terrible, it's awful. It's because they don't want it to happen. And the fact it's happening is, is brilliant. I'll concede that it hasn't been anywhere it's, near the catastrophe that people said it was going to be. But, we're t- talking about but, trolls, it renewed my belief in true democracy. But can, you, can you admit the optimistic spirit that we had as Leave voters on June twenty fourth. That's gone. It's it's pure damage limitation now. What do you mean? What when you talk about damage, you're talking about like financial losses and I don't care. I don't have like <laughs> millions of pounds in the bank. Who cares? But you know what I'm saying? When in terms of like there really is not many positive good news stories coming out of Brexit. It's it's almost yeah, positive you... news stories. Emphasis yeah. on news stories. Positive. The news is I can choose whether a story is positive or negative. There are positive stories coming out of Brexit. Like For example, what? the general Englishman is a lot happier. <laughs> Jacob Brees Mogg is happier. So kind of lost in the latest moral panic about sexual assault was a story about how um, supposedly the Tories wrote up these risk assessment papers around the idea of like what would happen if Britain just completely crashed out of the European Union, went to WTO rules. Like what would the impact be on the wider economy? Labour forced the Tories in the House of Commons recently. They tabled this motion saying the Tories have to release these papers. They won that. However, that was back in like the, towards the end of October. October. It's now middle of November and those papers still haven't been released. Yeah. And the, the line of reasoning the Tories are pushing is, oh, it would scupper the negotiations with the EU, mm-hmm. which is obviously nonsense. We, I've always said from the absolute outset, despite everyone's good intentions, there was always going to be no deal. So we should have always planned for that outcome. Just like all we these, didn't plan for any. Just outcome. like all these fucking idiots who thought that Hillary Clinton was, was going to win and were completely shocked yeah. beyond belief when Trump won. No contingency. It's like there was no contingency plan no plan b with this there was no plan a forget plan b yeah, there was no plan it a. wasn't meant to happen there wasn't meant to be a referendum the tories yeah. like took a stupid gamble just to reassert some power they were worried about you losing seats to ukip but you're right you're right to say it shouldn't have happened in the guise of there shouldn't have been a referendum the politician our politicians were never supposed to consult us again on eu membership that's why it wasn't supposed to but happen you asked me if it's going well and i say it's going well because this week the ceo of goldman sachs was talking about having a second referendum and saying like um you know once the british do understand the impact of this yeah i, I fully expect them to have a second referendum and it was a it's third possible. referendum you know, but he was he was saying that and people were saying this is outrageous that like a ceo of a massive organization be talking in such political terms but it's because they're panicking because time's running out it's happening mm. the tories sort of some of them to quell the rebellion they actually announced they were going to have a date you know this 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 extra date they put in yeah like, i heard ne- about the second year. referendum and now they're sort of wheeling back. Oh! 
not that. Not referendum, but they've put in a... Oh, a second vote. That was it. Fuck that. If they, yeah, if they vote, vote against the, the final, public... A vote on the final deal. What the EU offers us, Parliament gets to vote on whether or not they accept it. If they don't accept it, though, it means we crash out of the EU and we go to WTO. Yeah, and you asked me earlier, what does a country do when it when things are going down? They they orchestrate a foreign war. You know, so that's that's probably what's going to happen. Wait, Gibraltar. Round, round table. Who are we going to invade? We're going to go to war with China, but play it safe and do it in Africa. Fight over Africa with China. I want another crack at Iraq. Uh, we didn't get it right last time. I want another shot at Iraq. Plus, it's the last thing the Islamists in Iraq would be expecting. I want to invade Australia. That's too far away. Ah, uh, <laughs> but we also got a platform now to get to Papua New Guinea. What positive stories have you heard in regards to the negotiations themselves? Oh, I thought you just meant... I, I know generally... I know you're happy Brexit's happening. Aside, I mean, aside from the negotiations, there was a lovely statistic that said there's actually an increase in European workers in the UK this year compared to last year. Particularly EU nurses. There's been a real sharp decline. Right, no, I'm I talking think... about general European who are employed or something over here. Or there's more or there's more residents or something. But in particular, EU nurses, the applications have drastically dropped. I'm sorry, like the whole idea that they're going to get access to the Commonwealth, going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got tons of South African nurses, tons of Canadian nurses, tons of Australian nurses. Or oh, what? Westernized countries that are doing really well themselves? Yeah, they're going to want to come over to here to our grey they're not gonna drive the fucking buses or do all the jobs that we didn't want to do are you hearing any positive news stories on britain's no, negotiations no. With you? a third of the work stuff i work with are european yeah skilled people and they're all worried naturally yeah even what about like, even like, status no but they're worried in essence as well as as well as about status but more about like is there any gonna fucking is there gonna be any fucking work for them Everything I'm reading is, we talked tough about, we're not going to pay, we're going to negotiate down the exit bill. That's all gone. That talk's gone. We're basically, like, even David Davis is now saying, yeah, we're probably just going to agree to the figure of, I think it was about £66 billion. Pounds. Disgusting. They'll pay, they'll pay extra. They'll pay extra because in that deal, that's the basic deal. You want to buy in the expertise to build the infrastructure? That's going to cost you extra. From, yeah, true. like, two-thirds of the people, no, three-quarters of the people who are involved in designing these deals aren't British. Again, the lawyers are going to win. Oh, God. All right? Paid per to, hour. Yeah, to build these systems. It's going to be five years before we have a solid system in place. And by that time, we would have been bled dry in it. Do you know what we need? We need, a, we need a prime minister who's like a nine-year-old girl dying of cancer who can convince lawyers and trade negotiators to work pro bono. Unfortunately, what we have is a nine-year-old girl. Nine-year-old Catholic girl running, no, yeah. running for a field of wheat. But the sake, EU grow some balls. Do something. I think I think Poland is going to be the next country to leave the EU. I doubt that very much. <laughs> I know they would like bust them, but <laughs> they've been having massive like, um, you know, they've been very sort of anti-EU recently. Poland, Croatia. Right, bring this back to Brexit. The EU have held firm on the exit bill. They've also held firm on the status of EU nationals in Britain being under the jurisdiction of the uh, ECJ, the European Court of Justice. We're probably going to concede on that one. Oh, it's finally become a big deal. The Northern Ireland border. Basically, there's going to be... The Customs Union is going to have a border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. That's a big issue. The Tories, they really don't have an answer for this. Uh, the Tories are fucking retards, aren't 
on this. Everyone has been retard since the 1970s. We have put Northern Ireland on the back burner. Fuck the Catholics. <laughs> Fuck the Protestants. You want to actually have a rational Western conversation? Don't bring a fucking God into it. Even if you left God out of it, though, there's, still, just, there's still the legal issue of... I think the reality of the situation is now, okay? The, the English and the Northern Irish don't want a hard border. They want a soft border. The Republicans and even the fucking IRA don't want a hard border. They prefer a soft border. They like it how it is. It's the EU that is demanding these strictures and rules. That's what, what people are forgetting. In. They're the real bad guys here. This is what has become, to be frank, a tired response that like, well, look, nobody wants a hard border. Yeah, true. Nobody does want a hard border. But the, the legal reality yeah, of the Britain le- leaving the European Union the, is there is going to be a hard border the, between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. The and Europe- rhetoric about, well, nobody wants that. Well, that, that's not going to stop it from happening. The European Union is gradually morphing into a communist super state. It's our way or the highway. They're the ones forcing Ireland to have these issues with borders. We haven't proposed a solution to this. The EU has. The EU have said, "Listen, just we'll just we'll make because a concession. We'll we'll include Northern Ireland as part of the customs union just to avoid this issue." Yeah, it's because we don't have a department set up for it. There's no expertise on our side on this one. Do you know what I mean? Like the EU have been why even really fuck with well it? Organized. It's none of their business. Well, it is because it's a hard. It's, it's the they, customs union. Yeah, you know, we didn't we didn't consider it. This frank the idea that we were creating an issue there in terms of borders we didn't really factor that in and there was just a wishful thinking of well it's the same wishful thinking that there is now that basically the eu will just be nice about it there's no reason for them to be nice about it it basically sums up the whole thing in microcosm why can't two separate countries be allowed to come to their own arrangement instead it's got to be like so they've got to ask some portuguese geezer what he thinks we had our own laws we were the idiots that followed Europe. You go we to were Spain. For we were, you go to Spain. You go to France. You go to Germany. You go to Netherlands. They didn't care what the European Union. That was the base standard. So I had an ideal in the European project that we never really quite shared in this country, it's, and we never really quite understood what European Union being a customs union, what that really meant. And I'll give my my evidence for this. I remember last year David Davis was saying when initial concerns about what if negotiations don't go well were being brought up he said something to the effect of oh look even if we don't secure a trade deal with the European Union it doesn't matter because we'll just go to Germany one on one and do a bilateral trade deal and that's not possible because Germany's in a customs union that we're leaving you can't do that and that to me that indicated the Tory ministers they really don't understand what the fuck is going on they don't know what the EU is and they don't know how to deal with it back in the 70s you could almost say as a bitter pill that we had to join the European Union when we all yeah. when all we really needed and what saved us the free trade agreement all yeah right. free trade area yeah. yeah all right that's what saved us do you not think it's a sign of um, desperation that david davis he keeps falling back on this well look angela merkel won't let catastrophe happen yeah she will I'm sorry, have you seen Greece? Exactly. No, it's like you don't see Greece on the news anymore, but they're all still eating out of bins. But we're desperate to get trade talks started. 
preferably before the end of this year because of the Irish border, because of the EU national status, that those trade talks aren't going to happen to at least February, March now, meaning we've, we've got less than a year to work out a trade deal with the EU. The problem is, is they thought primacy was on our side. The levers, the Tory levers. Yeah, that then nothing would happen until we decided we were in control of the negotiation. I think the interesting thing is you, you basically had a leave and remain. So there were two sides, but of those two sides were comprised of such a wide group of people. Now, if for whatever reason we wanted world trade organization rules that again would be a different path we would have gone down from the start but we we didn't don't get me wrong if we get out with everything intact and stay in the single market we are the most valuable in europe Mm. everyone will want to trade with us i think peter hitchens had a good point on this though on a recent question time i say recent it's probably like a month and a half ago they want to sell us things they don't want to buy anything from us so it's, mm. it's not really trade. It's just we're a, we're a customer base that they may be potentially losing. Uh, I'm being pedantic, but yeah, it's not really they want to trade with us. They want to sell us shit. And it's like, that's not, that doesn't leave us in as strong as position that we thought we were in. Like we keep relying on this, um, oh, German car manufacturer. And Angela Merkel sought it because she wants to sell us her cars, German cars. Angela Merkel will put above anything else the European project. Now, have you guys been hearing or reading that uh, in light of what a mess the Tories are making of Brexit, Mm. that the Europhile side of Parliament, they're starting to organise themselves now, um, led by Chukar Amuna and Tory Anna Subri. They're like getting their heads together and they're basically, they feel emboldened by the fact Brexit is going wrong and that they believe public opinion is turning away from what hardcore Eurosceptic Tory party wants, which is hard Brexit. And they're guaranteeing they're going to get a soft Brexit. They may even undo Brexit altogether. Both main political parties of our country... Their official line was was remain. Remain. And it was a shame because of the way our electoral system is sort of set up. They couldn't sort of run a true general election, say. Like, going in from day one, having having the the people in charge not really behind it, it's never going to work out. We've committed ourselves to this. To leaving. It doesn't matter if originally they didn't want it. Don't half ask getting out. Don't half ask anything. Could could I, and that's why when you asked me at the start if I think Brexit's going well and if I'm happy about it, I am. I am happy about it because even you accept it is is happening. We've made formal notifications. We triggered Article Fifty as per the fucking rules. We must now leave, even if Europe doesn't want us to leave. Us triggering it is a paradigm shift of what was before for the past 40 years. We're the actual catalyst for them changing. They would love it if we stayed, but as soon as we leave, they can change. And they've got the actual heft behind them to offer a better deal to China than we do. And um, their next goal, the Europhiles in Parliament, is to convince the British public that they're not overturning a referendum result. All they're doing is objecting to government policy. They're trying a little bit of a like a bait and switch. It's not legally binding. It was, yeah. it was, it was advisory. It's an opinion fucking poll. It's it's yeah, In a way, yeah. but it's the same thing. Poll polis polis maximus. It, it the, the whole thing of, of of politics. Like the people sitting in Parliament when they're doing that vote, which they might take in a few months' time, they know in the back of their minds that there's like a, a million other people just in the rest of the country surrounding them and they have to do their constituents they have to do what those people want 
because there's millions more of them and all those people will flood that hall and just completely replace them and kill them and obliterate them like voting to leave the european union was like doing is is undertaking a massive experiment in like law we turn it into a massive experiment now with democracy i think the difference between pure democracy which is what tim was kind of advocating there and parliamentary elective representative democracy where you're not necessarily bound to go with the party line you're not necessarily bound to do what the majority of your constituents want that autonomism yes we talk about it being corrupt all the time but that autonomy allows growth in a democracy it's called the law of the jungle do you know how i answer that we have hedgerow laws we're civilized yeah, but it's like, in the end of the day, we're, we're civilised through consent. Like, So the MPs know that they'll have to do as people want, yeah, otherwise it'll all collapse and everyone will go mental. I think, I think the Eurosceptics are playing a dangerous game. Kenneth Clark was talking about this during the actual parliamentary debate or whether or not they should give Theresa May the authority to trigger Article 50. He was talking about how, listen, I've always been staunchly Europhile. And the idea that after 40 years or whatever of being staunchly Europhile, I now suddenly have to just go with the party line, even though the official party line for 40 years was pro-EU. There's a bit of a dangerous game Eurosceptics are playing with, referring to people as mutineers, saboteurs collaborators enemies of the public there are no parties anymore there are individuals that are grouped together under a party yeah broad coalitions yes yeah i agree i and i think maybe to rejuvenate our politics we have to eliminate those but that's but that but that's the fundamental sort of choice that that's being offered between like we we had we had two two parties who basically new labor new tory they're basically the same thing not dissimilar not not dissimilar and then you get something like scaling that up you get the eu it's like we're, we're basically Again. come to a point in history people are having to make a choice whether you want to be like more connected or keep individual social growth is not an economic growth there is a difference between that. It's why people complaining about, like, I don't know what it's like to be British anymore or English. But that's got nothing to do with the economy, yet it is enveloped in the same argument. I think, you know, indirect way. I think that's the failure to address issues like national identity do we really want globalism or are we more pro nation state like the public are never really consulted on things like that there's just this presumption of technocrats that yes the nation state is evil we need to move away from it but to get this back on topic if the europhiles imagine they envision a scenario where they've had success like brexit has gone horrifically wrong it's pure crisis lorries are queuing up there's rationing of food Pets are left in quarantine, all that, right? Big cork in the Channel Tunnel. What would happen if the Eurofiles actually managed to reverse Brexit? Because bear in mind, we've got a two-year transition period where perhaps public opinion might swing quite heavily towards, oh my God, we fucked this up. We should probably just stay. What do you think, Eurosceptic, the Leave voters, what would they do? The best... Like, if Brexit doesn't happen, The best scenario is they will set up a separate party. And then you will see how little amount of people were actually involved in it. Well, I don't know. I don't know about how many people will join this this party. What you're saying, well, I think, UK. I think is actually more likely to happen. You know, I honestly think that both 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 sort of sides are trying to delay and slow it down as much as possible and create opportunities for second chances. And just like, you know, Ireland, the Lisbon Treaty, they did that like three times over there. So, yeah, that's what it would be. Um, they would try and sell the third referendum. Okay, this is entirely dependent 
on how much money Vladimir Putin is, is going to spend on influencing us um, to like vote vote leave again. And I think if if they have another one, just as many people will vote again. And if they have another one, hopefully it won't be so soon, so all the old uh, people die. But like, <laughs> no, I think there would be half half the amount of people would participate in it because the line, especially from someone like a Nigel Farage, oh look, this is what the Europhiles always do. They make you vote again and again and again until you vote in scare quotes the right way and so i think leave voters basically wouldn't show up and then remain wins by a massive landslide because leave voters made a point of not voting under the ethos of we voted on this already we decided this already and that's what i think if brexit didn't happen it would basically be the final nail in the coffin of british democracy it would be an international embarrassment i'd be ashamed to call myself like british I, I think, think that'd be. I think that'd be so against the ethos of like is that what, you, what it was. Is that why you said you were Irish when you went to go? I'm half, <laughs> I'm half and half. I'm half and half. That was Tim's that's contingency why, that's, plan. That's why I care so much about having a soft border. I don't think there would be any riots. Like my my wet dream is that we burn down Parliament. <laughs> you don't really need. We could survive. I reckon we could survive three years easily without a Parliament. But if we got rid of Whitehall. That would be chaos. If we got rid of Parliament, we'd be fine for probably about three years before things started falling apart. I don't think there would be a big riot that Nigel Farage would predict. I think there'd be a lot of howling of a lot of talk of betrayal Again, and things been, like that. I don't know. I'm happy about Brexit, but the, the only thing that's made me sad about it is what it's what what's been sort of brought out. You know. Like in just what the way that everyone's kicked off about it in the, in the country. Obviously, Brexit could be thought of as the wrong choice to make, but you can, you can say it's stupid. But it's but, the heroic choice no, to make. But but the bad thing is, there's the thought that one person's vote is worth more than another person's vote because maybe that person is a, is a bit bit more clever, uh, no, has more money. Yeah, or, that's what it's going to be the deciding factor. Right? People would say Britain is a functioning democracy, right? But they'd be saying it with a wry kind of smile on their face, a bit of a grin. When really, what they mean is your vote counts if you have money more than someone else's it's not an oligarchy no an oligarchy is where a handful of wealthy people are the establishment i dream of an oligarchy because at least there would be some sort of control yeah but a plutocracy is where the majority decision isn't the one that's always borne out it's what the rich people in that country want they always get what they want ladies and gentlemen i hope you enjoyed that episode of the ill-informed insight podcast if you like what you heard be sure to follow us on soundcloud we endeavor at some point to be on itunes and uh, we'll keep you updated on that my thanks to my guest today tim thank you thanks for having me and hyman yeah whatever we're all gonna burn look out for more ill-informed insight every monday morning 